everybody. Welcome to another drive-through board game blog. This is now the 1,000th video uh, on my YouTube channel, which is kind of cool, but also differently freaky in some ways, uh, you know, because it's a thousand videos. I didn't really think that I would get to a thousand. I, in the back of my head when I started, I figured like, you know, maybe one day you'll get to like 500 videos and then you'll be done and then, you know, you would move on and do something else. Uh, but, you know, things happen and life comes at you in different ways. And, you know, this is a good uh, release for me. It's uh, it's a different hobby doing the videos compared to playing the games, but it, obviously they kind of complement each other, uh, you know, back and forth. So it's a, I gotta be honest with you, it's a really good escape, uh, especially from just insanity that happens in life and in the world and personal life and the, the global life and all that stuff. Um, and so just to be sort of sentimental for just a second before I get into my top five list, uh, you know, I just want to be encouraging. I want to always try to be, uh, I, I, sometimes I will screw up, um, but I always want to be encouraging to folks to keep playing games. I know it sounds silly. You are, and I am, and everybody is in a place of vast privilege and they're super lucky to be able to play games on a regular basis or at all because there's people on this planet that don't have access to board games they don't know about board games they don't have access to a lot of things <laughs> you know board games is maybe the least of their worries but if you're in a position that you can play games regularly or you know semi-regularly you're in a good shape probably <laughs> uh, so I and I think it's good and it's healthy it's a great hobby it is a little consumerist based you know you know a lot of people want to chase the new stuff that's okay because that keeps the game publishers in business and they also I imagine you know are doing good for themselves and their soul uh, by investing in the creation and the manufacturing of the games and you know I know that they get joy when they see uh, somebody else enjoying their games or you know, reviewing a game favorably and stuff like that so anyway just keep doing it it's always fun try to be positive try to give good feedback and uh, let's move into the top five games of my lifetime. Now, I think a year or so ago, I did a similar list, the top five games of my lifetime. These are not like my favorite games, my top five games of all time. Uh, and before I talked about a lot of games that kind of, you know, sort of led up to uh, me making videos, so to speak, and they were in that time frame. And I'll have a link to that video uh, underneath here so you can go back and watch that. Uh, but this is sort of like the next five. You know, like I said, life kind of comes at you different ways and sort of enthusiasm happens in spots that you don't always anticipate, at least I don't always anticipate. Uh, you, you know, I went to school to be an art educator and now I'm a software engineer, which has its pros and its cons. I do work for a corporation, uh, which is a good corporation as corporations go, but you know, it's a little different than teaching young folks art and to appreciate art as well. So there's a little bit I miss out, but there's also some things that I've certainly gained from that. And I think that's sort of, if you kind of keep that in the abstract, as kind of the theme with this list. So let's go into uh, the number five game. And the order is just kind of weird with this, but these are games that really have had a profound effect on me beyond is it a good game? You know, is it, you know, well-balanced mechanically? Is the theme sound and all that stuff? Although I think for all of these, uh, you could apply both of those standards and it would succeed. So number five is Freedom, uh, the Underground Railroad. 
And this is a game that still like puts the hairs on my body up when I think about playing it, and when I think about the subject matter. Now this is a game about the Underground Railroad uh, just prior to the Civil War, right around that time period when they were trying to abolish slavery in the United States. Uh, so that is, you know, slavery is, you know, there's a lot of horrific crimes that can happen in this world and slavery is one of the most, if not the most horrific thing that you can do to another individual, especially a large group of individuals and especially as a nation state kind of thing. <laughs> uh, so, and folks that worked hard to alleviate that and fight that and thwart that is massive. I mean, it is, it's a spiritual and, and a religious in a sense, or, you know, the amount of commitment and drive and, and passion and all of those kinds of things that people did and the lack of fear. I'm sure they were afraid, uh, but you know, fighting that fear to, to stop that kind of thing. Uh, all of that is super obvious, but making a board game about that is very, very interesting because in a sense you are tackling this horror uh, cooperatively in this case to try to thwart that. And woven through the game is all of this history. There's cards and people and, uh, you know, there's a map and stuff and you're routing them through the south uh, up into uh, the north and all eventually up into Canada where they can eventually at that time finally be uh, free folks. Uh, so it, it, when you put yourself in a position of being proactive and you have a, uh, you know, you're exerting your will uh, into making the story happen, it's much different than like watching a movie about slavery or about that time period. You know, there you're being told, you're, you're recognizing, you're empathizing with what's happening, but here you're making decisions and, and, and you're putting, uh, you know, they're little cubes in the case of the game, but you're putting their life in your own hands in a way. And there's like a certain sort of almost over overwhelming responsibility there, uh, but it's also sort of a duality because it's sort of like, this is just a game, this is not real, um, I'm not really actually doing this good thing that I'm doing in the game. I'm just sort of exercising and practicing doing a good thing, which a lot of games uh, are about. A lot of times games can be about practicing before real life kind of stuff. Uh, so that's just, a, uh, it, it just blows me away that somebody was able to so effectively craft uh, a game about such, you know, obviously a sensitive topic and in a, such a way that engaged me and I think a lot of other folks. Uh, and I would just love to see, you know, folks really attack this, uh, these kinds of subjects. And I know it's tricky because you have to be very sensitive that you're not just like exploiting that situation or that historical event to say, hey, look at me, look, I'm doing really good here by, you know, witnessing that, but really focus and, and be as selfless and sacrificial in some ways to turn the lens and turn the focus on the event and put the players in a position where they're able to then turn the lens and focus on the different event and you know sort of over empathize with that those that happening and taking people out of you know places where uh, you know because i live in the now the 2000s and i grew up in the 80s and 90s and as i've gotten older i i can empathize more you know as you're a child you kind of think everything is how it is because of where you're at. I think somebody wise told me that once a long time ago. And if you grow up in Africa, you think everything is like Africa. If you grow up in Southern California, you think everything's just kind of like that. And, and then, you know, everywhere else. So taking people out of their sort of quote unquote comfort zone and doing that kind of thing is really cool. So that's Freedom Underground Railroad. Definitely 
a game that isn't certainly fun and laugh inducing, but is very engaging, very intriguing, and I think worth uh, definitely a couple of plays from anybody that can get their hands on it. Uh, now moving on to something a little bit lighter here, uh, sort of, is number four, and that is Combat Commander uh, Europe. And this is a sort of traditional World War II tactical squad level uh, game. Uh, each side will take on a little squad of soldiers and you'll play out these different scenarios and things. Now the difference between this one and a few of the others that I have played is this one is very cinematic and very, very narrative uh, in nature. It's very random and a bit chaotic as well, but it also feels like a natural organic uh, flow of these kind of hectic situations more than I think for me any of these other style of games. A lot of these games can be a little bit stodgy, a little bit stiff, uh, you know, a little bit rigid, and uh, but these, this one really uh, is very, very simple. It's just, it just you know, foot soldiers. Uh, there's no tanks or even anything like that. Uh, but that kind of stuff sort of exists beyond. So this one, it kind of reminds me of Upfront in a way, which is an old card game, which I also recommend. But it kind of really puts you in the mindset of being in that that, that person that's on the ground, your feet are in the, in the mud sort of thing. Uh, and uh, all of the sort of confluence of events and the way the cards work and the way that, you know, like grenades can bounce around and fall back on you and blow up in your face. And that's kind of stuff that totally does happen in war uh, because war certainly does not go as planned, especially when you get to like the micro individual level. You know, it, a lot of these other games are more epic in scope, especially as you blow up to like a theater level where you're just pushing like one shit and that's like, that's 3000 people, you know? So that's, that's a little bit more different idea and this is in terms of that low level infantry type of thing uh, this to me is the best and the most engrossing and the, you know the mechanics and stuff are really fun and the card playing the card management and all that kind of stuff is really really cool too uh, so this one kind of goes in and out of print uh, but you can certainly find it uh, relatively readily available if not wait a couple of months then it'll come back into print and be more available so that was Combat Commander Europe, although there are other, other uh, Combat Commanders Pacific and Mediterranean and other ones that I haven't actually played yet. So that was number four. And then number three is Dead of Winter, specifically Dead of Winter Long Night, uh, because this one is, again, a lot of these are very narrative and focused, and I think that's uh, you know one of the things that really uh, will plant kind of that memory, uh, at least for me, uh, in with a lot of games. And when they added the Long Night uh, expansion, they expanded on the Crossroads cards. They also expanded on some of the mechanics and things um, that you can do. It, it made it a little more science fiction-y because the base set of Winter was just zombies and you're kind of Walking Dead vibe. Uh, but with the others, it gets they get like mutants and you have bandits that come around and harass you um, and all stuff like that. And uh, this one, a couple of things. Uh, it's nice because you can also play co-op, which is something that uh, I can do with my son because we can't really do like the whole betrayer thing. My wife's not interested in playing Dead of Winter, nor are my parents. Um, but playing a co-op, we can still play the game and go through the crossroads cards and all that kind of cool stuff. And it's just the two of us and we kind of play through. And the co-op is much stronger uh, once you add the expansion because you have ways that you can kind of tweak the difficulty and where you can kind of just spice up you know the game a little bit more the, the base game kind of relies on that betrayer type of mechanic uh where you know it's kind of kind of plain in terms of just a co-op but when you add the expansion stuff and some of the modules there's enough going on that you can uh, play co-op uh, but also the the crossroads cards are 
all over the place. There's some that are very uh, traumatic and some that are uh, very real feeling and you know, uh, you know, you're like, oh wow, I'm making a really tough decision. And some of the decisions are tough, but when you look at it in a game terms, you're like, oh, well, it's not that tough. Let's just, I know it's horrible, but we're gonna do this anyway. But I'm always like, no, man, I don't care. Like, I have to live with myself for making this decision. And I don't wanna do that. I don't care if I lose this game. Uh, this is crazy. So it, again, it kind of triggers some of those, uh, those real life events that maybe you can empathize with. And you know, it, a lot of them, and a lot of them are very silly and funny too, which is also kind of cool. So it adds, kind of the point of this one is, it adds those different levels of emotion uh, to the game, uh, sort of, uh, I don't know if you call it fear, but there's a certain sort of, um, I don't know, it, it, there's, there's a shock value to some of it, and there's also a humor value to some of it, um, but it's not like silly humor, and I, I don't want to pick on Munchkin, but it's not just like geek humor, you know, it's like, haha, Star Wars versus Star Trek, you know, okay, okay, that's funny, <laughs> but... You know, it's like real humor, you know, a lot of times and and real emotion and you know, at least getting at the real emotion, which is, again, something you can kind of go back to freedom here and even a little bit combat commander. Uh, that's cool that a game can get at that, you know, because movies and stuff, you can get at that music. They, they get at those those more nebulous and very human and important, I think, emotions. And, uh, and you know, sit, sitting in the nice package of Dead of Winter, which is a fantastically uh, designed game. Um, so I highly recommend picking up, uh, the, you know, the expansion if you don't have it. If you don't have either, you might even just go right for the expansion and then add the base game, which is almost like an expansion to the expansion because the expansion has all the cool rules and stuff. And then if you just want more like characters and stuff, you can go by the base game. So you can almost do it in reverse. Uh, so that's number three dead winter especially long night uh, number two is one night ultimate werewolf um, this one is certainly personal in a way because we have played the living daylights out of this uh, with my group and I think I think this game is is really uh, at the point where I feel like it, the folks in my group weren't just people I was playing games with after this it was it was certainly like I felt like more like we were just friends uh, because the folks in my game group I, I know them through the game group uh, and uh, you know they, primarily and so uh, you know we've done some things outside of the game group together and stuff like that now too uh, but I feel like this was kind of that game at least for me that made me feel like okay, you know, I'm not just like trying to beat them at Kalis or we're trying not to collectively beat Elder Tor or something. I mean, this is your reading other players. You know, you, you're you getting to know Billy and Francesca and Bobby and all those people and their facial uh, twitches and the little tells that they have. Apparently I have a bunch of tells, but I think that's bull. I think people just say that, all right. <laughs> anyway, I do have tells, but uh, you know, you get to know the tells and through that you get to kind of know the people and you have the memories of the games that you played before, or the game you just played, and the games you played last week, and you start to get to know the people a little bit more. And so One Night is definitely the, out of all the social deduction games we've played, we've certainly played One Night way more than all the others, but we do have, a, a, as a collectively, not all of us, uh, but we collectively have uh, you know, an appreciation for that social deduction game. And even the folks that don't like to play the social deduction game, I think just the fact that the game kind of happens uh, during the game night and other people can at least watch it or maybe they're playing something else. 
but it, it just adds so much just jocularity and all that kind of thing. And you know, there's a word called fellowship that happens. Uh, it's not always uh, in certain circles. A fellowship can happen in many circles. Uh, and that kind of attitude occurs uh, with that, and I think that spreads, and it becomes a little bit viral in a sense uh, to other folks that don't even like that. So I think it, it's, it kind of like loosens up the group and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I like it. That's 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 been great. So I think that would be uh, my number two. Uh, you know, kind of this profound sort of memory and focus kind of thing. Uh, and then number one is going to be Frostgrave. <laughs> um, I think Frostgrave might replace Kalis. I don't know. <laughs> I know, but I really had just a friggin' blast playing this game and building this game and creating the worlds for this game and all of that stuff. It's, it, it, it's a game that I didn't know this kind of thing existed, and this is why it's my number one, because, you know, I played some D&D in college, I've done some other kind of role-playing a couple times, not very much at all. Uh, I've always enjoyed kind of RPGs on the computer, and I like kind of more role-playing style board games and things with theme and stuff like that. Uh, but... You know, A, I don't have a role-playing group now, and I've never really had a very long-lasting role-playing group. Uh, I would say as far as groups go, I've, I had a group in college we played a few times, and then I had kind of an online one we were doing via forum, which we played for a little bit of time, not that long. Um, and then I played kind of some one-shots and things with folks. Um, so maybe if I had like a persistent group like that, and I don't know that I had that much interest to do it, but if I had, you know, all the time in Infinity, then I would. Uh, but uh, this scratches that itch, but it also scratches that sort of tactical combat, you know, miniature game itch, uh, you know, because I, I like those style of games. I like those kind of games on the computer where you, um, you know, you play like, uh, what am I thinking of? I like Starcraft and, um, you know, Dawn of War and uh, Final Fantasy Tactics and Fire Emblem, which I've been playing on my phone too much. <laughs> uh, those kind of tactical combat things are cool. So you kind of marry those two, uh, the role playing, the world building, all that kind of stuff. And then you have a really kind of cool, fun, you know, sort of somewhat tactical game uh, to go along with. And they've really provided a ton of stuff to flesh out your world and again, left it open to sort of the silence for you to kind of fill in your own story. Uh, so I've really, really appreciated that and you can, uh, you know, there's been a lot of reasons that I've gotten more into miniature games over the last year. Uh, certainly Warhammer Quest and playing that. And I think I've always kind of had it in the back of my head, uh, you know, because like I played uh, Imperial Assault and stuff, you know, however long ago, years ago, and the Sentinel Tactics and stuff. I've always like liked that style of game. Um, uh, but I think if you were to say this is the game that really like infected my brain and said, oh, okay, this miniature thing, this isn't just some other thing. This is now something you can, you can do, you can be a part of. It's, it's not separate from board games. And it, that's a whole other conversation, but like my narrow focus in life has always been like, I played some Meritrash games when I was younger, like Hero Quest and Dragonlance and Buck Rogers and stuff like that. Um, you know, then, then when I stopped playing games and went to college and then played games after that, it was all Euro games. Cause that's what my friends uh, down the street sort of uh, had going on and that's kind of been the new thing over the last 20 years um, and then you kind of get adapted into those uh, Meritrash games again but anyway um, so this is it. I've always kind of felt like that, that kind of stuff was separate uh, you know because you 
you get on like board game geek and all they do is trash games workshop and you know 80 percent for good reason until recently uh and you know and sort of tr trash the ameritrashers a little bit that's that's old news but you know you, there's a lot of sort of separation sometimes in uh in the hobby you know some people are really heavy into like train games and other people like only euros and they they don't really like fillers or they don't like uh euros you know they only like ameritrash and that kind of stuff um, I've never, I've never been like that. You know, I've always liked different kinds of movies and I've liked different kinds of music. Um, I will listen to Public Enemy one breath and then I will listen to Bob Dylan in the next breath. And then I will listen to Led Zeppelin and then I will listen to David Bowie and Prince and all those fellas and everybody else. Uh, you know, and I will watch a serious movie and I'll go watch the Avengers. So that's kind of, you know, a lot of times I get asked, like, dude, well, you were supposed to like Kalis, and now you like Warhammer, or you like Frostgrave. That doesn't make sense. Um, it does make sense, and I think, certainly, I'm definitely not unique in this. Uh, and I think I've, the more folks that I've run into now that I've sort of been more, I guess, public about <laughs> miniature stuff is, uh, you know, you'll find more people that are like that. Like, oh, no, no, dude, I totally play Frostgrave and then uh, uh, Great Western Trail, you know, the next day. Um, so that's cool. I, you know, I'm a little bit sort of, uh, I like to travel, if you will. I don't get to travel enough. Like if I had lots of money, I would be traveling so much to all these different places. Uh, and, you know, going to these different types of games and traveling to these different worlds uh, really keeps everything fresh for me. Uh, you know, so there's going to be times where, you know, I probably played Kalis, let's conclude 2016, maybe five times, and that's my favorite game of all time. Maybe not even five. I mean, I'm rounding up. I know I play at least three times. Uh, it, you know, so, but that doesn't mean it's no longer one of my favorite or my favorite games. It's just like, oh, it goes on the shelf. Are you worthy of staying there? Because I know I'm going to come revisit you in a couple of months. Um, so... That's interesting. So having the ability to sort of go and explore these different mechanics and genres and all that stuff, I know I turned into a really pedantry um, <laughs> analysis of this, but uh, yeah. So Frostgrave kind of just unlocked that whole other world of, I think the just the the dungeon master side of it. You know, the world building, the the hobby side of it. You know, uh, and I think that that is something I didn't really you know, appreciate before, I, you know, I've certainly blinged out Kalis, for example, but that's just stuff uh, that I've either bought secondhand or I grabbed some stuff, you know, somebody sent me some components and I grabbed it out of that and threw it in there to bling it out. But really sort of flipping the script a little bit and then investing in some of your really favorite stuff and making, you know, sort of enhancing the experience, you know, playing variants, um, coming up with your own rules and all that stuff. It's, it, it's more of a participatory sort of cooperative experience with the designer sort of post-mortem after the game has been done and published and now is, is somewhat dead probably to that designer because uh, they've moved on to the next design. Uh, you're still sort of, you know, cooperating them through time and, you know, with the, the other folks that you play with. And so that is a lot of what gaming is about, I think, is is, is is having that ability to say, okay, I don't just have to, like, play the rules and just be such a rules lawyer and all that kind of stuff, even though you want a solid foundation to dovetail off of. You want to be able to feel comfortable with enough of what you know about the game and what the other players at the table know and be able to 
spice up the game, add up the game. So I think that's kind of what I'm getting at here is being able to go in and build that experience and, you know, weave in the story, interject that and, and do it in a way that you are doing it, you know, in concert with other players. You know, talk about One Night Ultimate Werewolf. That's so much player driven. It's not just script driven. And there's, there's improv involved. If you think of a movie, you've got all the production and the script and the acting and all those bits go together to make the movie. But there's also sometimes some improv and some, uh, you know, there's editing and rewrites and that kind of stuff happens after. And there's fan films and all that kind of stuff that you know, sometimes the fan film is better than the actual film. Um, but yeah, so that's that's what I was kind of getting out there. And so anyway, feeling reflective. This is the 1,000th uh, video that I've made. And uh, yeah, so there you go. I'll have some more top 10 lists uh, for folks as well. I know some folks have been asking for some specific ones, like one involving 2011. <laughs> but this was my 1,000th video. And I said, yeah, let me do this because um, somebody actually brought it up couple weeks ago and I was like, oh yeah, you know, I should redo that and see what I, what I think. So anyway, I hope you enjoy the videos. Uh, take care and keep playing games and have fun. Thanks.